Hello, and welcome to your Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Tori. Hello, Internet. And Dave. Hey, everybody. Uh, Dave is new Seth. Uh, he's going to be our new reader taking over for Tori. Not quite this week. He's not quite caught up yet. Um, but yeah, he has never read anything by Brandon Sanderson, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, nah. And is working his way through Elantris. He should be caught up with us by next week's episode. Um, so we start out every episode with something called Good Thing, uh, which is, you know, a game, a TV show, a life experience, um, just something that you enjoy and you want to talk about for a couple of minutes. Uh, my good thing this week is a YouTube show called Monster Factory. Uh, it's done by Griffin and Justin McElroy, uh, who you may know from their podcasts, My Brother, My Brother and Me, and uh, The Adventure Zone. Um, they both very recently stopped working at Polygon after having been there, and I want to say Justin like co-founded the, the company, um, but having been there for like a good five or six years each. Um, yeah, it's Monster Factory is a Polygon production, which they have both said that they want to continue working on, even though they have they have left the company. Um, basically, they take games that have like really robust character creation um, systems and then try to make the most horrifying, grotesque thing they can, uh, and then they actually play the game with it for a little bit. Um, the, the game playing part isn't nearly as fun as, as the character creation portion. Uh, my personal favorite is when they used Black Desert Online to make a character they called Borth Samson, which is basically if you take an adult muscular Bart Simpson, make him out of plastic, and then just sort of melt him. Um, it's, it's quite good. I haven't run into a bad episode yet. They're wonderful. Uh, Tori, what you got? Uh, so this week, my good thing would be the TV show Merlin that was on the BBC. It lasted five seasons. Um, each season was only about 12 episodes, so it doesn't take very long to get through it. But um, I loved that show. Those are very long BBC seasons. I know. I know. I loved it. The From the first episode onward, it's... Um, it's very family friendly. There's no cursing or nudity or nothing dreadfully terrible ever happens. Uh, it's all knights and dragons and girls in pretty dresses. I really dig it. And I didn't want it to end. So, um, over the years, I would, it's on Netflix. I would watch the whole show just starting at the beginning. And then when I got to an episode I hadn't seen before, I would watch that episode. And start over at the beginning. And just this week, I watched watched it again for the last time I got to the last episode, the end of season five. It's officially over for me now. But it's a great show. I love it. That's an interesting way to watch a show. I do well, that I mean, with books. I want it to end. <laughs> like, I, I do that with books. I think a lot of people do that with books. That's like kind of how I got my my habit of rereading started. Is, you know, new book comes out, I don't remember what happened, so start from the beginning. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, 
I do that with books all the time. Uh, that Merlin is the only TV show I've done that with. Um, but speaking of doing that with books, I still have not finished the last Discworld book. I I don't think I can. <laughs> I understand. Uh, all right, Dave. Uh, I don't think I actually warned you about good thing going into this. So if you don't have one, that's cool. But if you've got one, now is the time. Oh, I got one. It's a game, and you probably know what it is because you know what I've been playing lately. All right. It is A Link to the Past Super Metroid Hybrid Randomizer. It's the greatest new thing to come out in, you know, retro randomizer hacking world. This guy named Total, who's been, uh, you know, working through, working on code of Super Metroid for years, he kind of saw the two things and he combined them. So if you don't know, Super Metroid and A Link to the Past are both games released way back in the 90s on a console called the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And uh, recently, some hackers kind of got into the code of the game and shuffled some items around so that every time you play it, it's a new experience. But now, this is a new one that combines the two games where you find items from one game in the other game and there's just so many more possibilities and it's really exciting and it takes four or five hours to finish sometimes but it's a lot of fun especially if you get together with a group of friends to do it so and that's what i'm really excited about lately and that was uh twitch.tv slash t-e-w-t-a-l total yeah um yeah it's i've seen this i haven't played it yet I won't, because I have made a sacred vow to never play Super Metroid anymore, because that game's really hard. Sound like a speedrunner. Like, oh, I'm never going to play that game again. No, no, no. The, the exact opposite. I'm bad at it, and it's hard. Um, but yeah, it's it's a super cool thing. Like, there are specific doors that will take you in between games instead of to the room that they were otherwise supposed to, which... Can actually allow for like some shortcutting and like logic workarounds. So like there's a way up to Death Mountain that doesn't in in a link to the past, like going by way of uh, Super Metroid, so you don't have to have by logic lamp or or lamp and glove or flute. Right. So it's cool. Um, all right. So Dave, why don't you give us a quick summary of events in the book? up to the point where you're at. From the beginning? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Elantris was once a beautiful city run by almost superhuman people that were viewed by some as gods. They knew magic. They uh, were had this shiny skin and silvery white hair. And, uh, you know, they were just like all around healthy. People would bring their sick to them to be healed. People would come to them for new technology and new things to trade to other countries. Uh, but 10 years ago, the people of Elantris and the supernatural force that transforms people into Elantrians were sort of cursed. So now instead of having this shiny skin, you have this black blotchy skin and your hair falls out and you're gross. And anytime you get hurt, the pain never goes away. Uh, there's... You, your heart stops beating, but you're still, you're like dead, but undead, basically. So, uh, one day, uh, the prince of the, so this was 10 years ago. And then after 10 years of them being cursed, uh, the pr- prince Rayadin was taken by 
the Shi'ad, as they call it, which is the cursed version of the transformation, and he gets thrown into Elantris. So I I guess I'll kind of do one character at a time rather than... The book, there's three main characters in the book, and it alternates every chapter between them, but I'll just do one character at a time to make it a little easier to summarize. So Raiden gets thrown into Elantris, he runs into a guy named Galadon, and he kind of bribes him with some food. Then Galadon takes a liking to him, and they start getting all the newcomers to Elantris, and they start trying to convert the city to, you know, realize that they're more than they appear to be, that they have potential to be great. And he also convinces two of the gang leaders. The, the uh, city of Elantris is kind of run by three gangs. Two of them... He wins over the other ones. Funnily, actually, like a little spoiled brat girl of a of a uh, of one of the dukes that they later find out. So, you know, he's working to make Elantris great again. Uh, I don't mean that in a cheeky way. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so that's that's where he is right now. He also has a wife that he never met. They used to. Uh, for lack of a better term, they used to FaceTime. They never met in person, but they have the Elantrians, you know, back in the day when they were great, they invented these, uh, these glowing balls called Xeons. The best way I think I can describe it is if you're a Dungeons and Dragons player, if you know what a Lantern Archon is, it's basically that. Uh, it's like a glowing ball with a face that can talk to you. <laughs> uh, so. They can actually use these to communicate long distances, basically FaceTime through them. So he's been FaceTiming Princess Serene. She's from a nearby island, smaller island country from, uh, I, what's the name of the country is named Aeon or Aeon's the language, I forget. But anyway, so they were, it was a political marriage. He's a prince. She's a princess of a smaller country. So they wanted to become allies against this other big country that we'll get to later with the third main character. So they were engaged, but since he was taken by the Rayad, it was the news was spread that he had died. But the, the contract, since it was a political arrangement, this marriage, the contract was such that if one of them died during the engagement period, they would be considered husband and wife. And all the you know political responsibilities of her now being a princess in this new country... She takes them seriously, and she does her best to uh, serve her country. Even though she thinks that her husband is dead, uh, so she is. She does a lot of things. She tries to get. Uh, she tries to teach all the duchesses and the queen fencing. <laughs> she's trying to, you know, uh, she's trying to empower the women of the country. She does. She's trying to do like everything. <laughs> She's trying to empower the women of the country while also saving the country from a religious war and while trying to figure out, you know, what happened to her husband who just mysteriously died in strange circumstances. And so she's doing all that. And uh, the other main character is a guy named Hrothen. He is uh, basically like a high priest or like a, a cardinal of this religion called Shudereth. And now most of the, the, the two countries that Prince Raiden and Princess Serene are from, they follow a, a like a sister religion called Shukereth, 
Or is that the father of religion? Well, anyway, so you got these guys from a country called Fjordin. You have this this high priest guy, Hrothen. He's trying to come into the country and convert everybody to the Shudereth. Otherwise, his religious leaders are going to come and slaughter everybody. So he's trying to get them to convert to this new religion so that he can save their lives. And he has this uh, this lackey named uh, Dilaf. And Dilaf is just crazy. He's just this relig- religious fanatic. He's wants to slaughter all their enemies, but he's got all the people on their side. He's got all the underling priests in this country on his side. And Rothen's kind of having also this internal struggle. Like, why is he doing what he's doing? What happened to his faith? Where's the passion in his religion? So I actually, I like Rothen a lot. I think that he's the most interesting of the main three characters. Uh, Raiden, it's kind of like everything's going well for the other two characters. And I don't find that as interesting. Like Raiden, every time he tries to do something good, he's able to do something good. And, you know, he's still struggling with his own personal pain, but everything he's doing, like just people show up to Elantris and he's able to instantly convert them. And then this, this new person just happens to be really good at making shoes or happens to be really good at rebuilding a roof or cleaning the palace. Uh, And, you know, same thing with Serene, like just, she's so good at everything she does. And, it's like everything's going right for her. And I mean, I'm, on, I'm not even halfway through the book, so hopefully some stuff's going to start going wrong for these two guys. But Harathan strikes me as somebody who's really, he's really up against something. He really has adversity from from the very beginning of when he shows up. And I think as far as major plot points go, I guess Serene actually has entered the city of Elantris. It's, you know, enclosed within a wall and, She's trying to foil Hrothen. Hrothen's trying to turn the people against the city of Elantris. So she wants to do the opposite. She wants to show compassion to them. So she starts going in there and handing out food. That kind of screws up Raiden's plans because, you know, Raiden is trying to get people to understand that they can survive and thrive without food and without getting a handout. Uh, and Raiden actually recognizes his wife Serene, but Serene doesn't know that it's him because the, because the Riyadh, the transformation made him all splotchy and his hair fall out and his face cracked up. And that's about where I am right now. I'm excited to see when Serene actually realizes that, uh, her husband has been helping her hand out food to Elantris and really, uh, really interested to see if Harathan's going to, you know, continue in converting the people to shoot Dareth, or if he's going to come to some kind of religious awakening where, you know, the truth is greater than the traditions that he's been practicing up to this point. So. All right. That was a pretty good summary. Harathan is your favorite character thus far? Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Let's go with some guesses. What do you think is going to happen? Let's start with Raiden. Hmm. I think... He's kind of getting to the point where all of his all of his wounds and his pain in Elantris are kind of adding up on him. He's he's starting to kind of turn, or at least he thinks that he is, like turn and go absolutely bat poop crazy. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen though, <laughs> but that'll be interesting to see. Okay, uh, let's go with Serene. Serene, uh, I think that at some point. 
it would be kind of funny for Serene if she falls in love with uh, with Spirit. Spirit being the name that Raiden took on as an Elantrian. She kind of falls in love with Spirit and feels guilty about it before actually realizing that it's her husband. And I think uh, it's... It's kind of funny. On the cover of my copy of the book, it's clearly Hrothan and Serene like standing in the middle of Elantris. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I think, think I, I wanna have... see them I wanna see them like team up. <laughs> I think I have the same cover. Um Alright, and then Hrothan, what's what's happening with him? I where's I his think story that going? He's I I kinda touched on this. I think that he's gonna come to a religious realization that his pursuit of power and influence is going to take a step back when, you know, he realizes that truth should be his highest standard rather than, you know, the religious organization that he's serving. Okay. Um, and then just real quick rundown. Who dies in this book and who doesn't? Who makes it through? Well, Raiden already died. Um, I I don't know. It's not something that I usually stop and think about. Uh I don't think the king, King Iodin's gonna make it. <laughs> if one person's gonna die, it's gonna, I think, gonna be him. Maybe Duke Tellery, the guy that's trying to get his throne. Um, I would be honestly surprised if one of the three main characters dies. I, I think they're all gonna make it, but I could be proven wrong. Okay. Um, I next. think, oh, I think, um, Galadon, Galadon's gotta go. Raiden's like best buddy. He's got it. He's dead. Like, straight up. Okay. Uh, next big thing is the names in this book, um, that I've been mispronouncing. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> I don't think you're listening to the audiobook, so I don't think you really had an opportunity to not mispronounce them. Um, but yeah, the names in this book are kind of a mess. So how do you, how do you, how do you sort of feel about them? Like, is that off-putting to you? It was at first, but then I realized that uh, Sanderson is actually really brilliant. Every time he... There's a lot of important but minor characters, like all of the Dukes, uh, like uh, Andil and Shudin and uh, Royale. Like, there are a lot of important minor characters, but every single character that... Sanderson wants you to remember. He gives you a he gives you a trait, like either a physical characteristic or a mannerism. Uh, like there's there's Duke Ahan, he's the fat guy. There's Eondil, uh, he's like he's like the martial knightly guy. I kind of think of him as like Cyan from Final Fantasy VI. Uh, and then you've got Royale, who's the the older Duke, who's kind of like kind of like a silver fox or like kind of like old but charming I, I, if i don't know if anybody that's listening ever watched the old 90s sitcom frazier <laughs> the spin-off of cheers but frazier's dad who's just like he's this old guy with a broken hip and a cane but he's like the most charming ladies man ever so i think of duke royale as that guy uh okay. so anyway it's hard to remember the names until so it's hard to remember the names, so Sanderson gives you some kind of character trait to tie to that name and repeats it enough times until you get it, and I think that's brilliant. All right. Um, so then I guess the last thing that I asked you to prep for this was a cast list. 
in the in the the eventual movie version of the book <laughs> who who gets cast as who and we we made a couple of uh, a couple of remarks to that end, but I don't think you asked me to prepare a full cast. <laughs> I did though. Uh, okay, that's fine. We'll we'll do it. All right. Well, um, aside from the dad Can from Frasier, be... played by John Mahoney, who is uh currently not among the living, sadly. <laughs> um, but that that does yeah. not matter for what we're doing here. Um, who else you got? Or the Rayad. I I got that mixed up too. Anyway, yeah. The Shiad and the Riyadh, but... Okay. Uh, can I... Do they have to be real famous actors? Can some of them be fictional characters cast in, in the role? You know what, man? It's... This is your time to shine. Do do what... Follow your bliss. Well, Serene is a, a tall, blonde lady, so she's obviously played by Samus Aran. Uh, I... I... I'm trying to... One of the things I'm trying to think about is... Oh, you know, um... Shuden is George Takei. I don't know if it's actually mentioned that the Jindouis are kind of parallel to Japanese. That's kind of what I'm getting from it. It says that they're dark-skinned, but like the Japanese are kind of too. I don't know if I'm just completely misinterpreted that, but going with that and the fact that um, that Shuden you know, shows off at the fencing lesson... And there's an episode of Star Trek where where Sulu starts fencing in the hallway. Mm-hmm. George Takei is shooting. I love this way better than <laughs> we came up with. What is that? What'd you come up with? No, um, just that we've got Samus Aaron and Cyan from Final Fantasy. <laughs> and and a young George Takei. Okay. Yeah, young George Takei. Give us some more. So we need a time machine and a portal that, you know, brings, uh, like, video game characters. Uh, so, Raiden's almost kind of like, I know there aren't elves in this story, but he always seemed, came off as kind of like an elf. Almost came off as kind of like Elrond. All right. This regal elf-like guy. I don't know. I always imagine him with pointy ears when I'm reading, even though I know it doesn't make sense. I can never remember the name of that actor. I've seen him in a million things. Which actor? Elrond. Hugo Weaving. Thank you. You know who would be a good Hraithen? Uh, Another unfortunately deceased actor, um, Alan Rickman. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, that would have been good. So we need a time machine or race the dead (laughs) We'll Although, get this made, guys. I mean, to be to be totally fair, I would gladly cast Alan Rickman in every role in every movie that has ever been made. <laughs> yeah, and he would knock it out of the park. Um, all right, do you have any others, or has your well run dry? How about Diloff? Who do you got for Diloff? Jack Black. <laughs> That's an unconventional choice, but I think I'll go with it. I mean, he's like he's just like crazy. He's just like crazy and yelling and riling people up. So. He's- Alright, uh so some oh, highlights from Wallace Shawn can be um Odin or no Omen, the The, the short the priest. Parrot. Yes. Yeah, All right. priest. <laughs> I mean Wallace Shawn is another one that I, I would gladly see in every role in every movie. Um so some highlights from, from our previous casting. 
we had as Rathen uh, Mads Mikkelsen as as kind of a a consensus of like perfect like this is who he is. Um, we also had wow, I can't names, I just can't. All right, Mads Mikkelsen as hey as Rathen, that's who we had. We cast one character. <laughs> it's kind of like Macaulay Culkin. Um, so, all right, let's uh, <laughs> let's kick Dave off the call so we can continue with stuff that he hasn't read yet. Uh, Dave, you got anything to end us out? Nah, just thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure talking with you. Uh, thanks, even for just telling me about this book. It's been a blast up to this point, and oh man, I'm excited to continue. Wait until like three years from now when we start getting into the other ones. Okay. <laughs> this is a, this is a uh, commitment. I don't know if you knew that. That's fine. Yeah, we're doing for Elantris. We're doing three chapters a week. That may go up if I ever have time to read more than three chapters a week. All right. Thanks for having me. You guys have a wonderful day. Take care. All right. Adios. All right, Tori. Um, would you like to chapter summarize for us? Uh, thirty-seven through thirty-nine. Shouldn't, shouldn't we laugh at all the things that he got right and wrong first? Uh, no, we're still in non-spoiler territory. Oh, okay. Well, I'll summarize some chapters. Fine. Let's see, opening my notebook to the relevant page. Relevant page. Uh, okay. Chapter thirty-four. While some of Shayor's men recovered their sanity, most of them remained crazy. They've joined Rayadin's band anyway, having killed Shayor and claimed Rayadin as their new god, and they follow orders blindly in exchange for scraps of food. Rayadin studies the books they found in the hidden library and has found the cause of Elantris's slime problem. Some kind of glow-in-the-door magical mold, somewhat less attractive now that it's all corpsified and gross. He's telling Galadin and Carita about it, and about how he still hasn't found anything in the books about Sion's, when Daishi the guard rushes in to say that the Yorn has been healed. Chapter 35. Serene talks with her father by Sion, or FaceTime. <laughs> his spies have already reported that King Iodin was dethroned and later hung himself in his cell. He tells her to be careful and informs her that Siainalin, the Karathi patriarch, is on his way to Ke'i. Later, she meets with her loyal nobles to discuss how to keep Telrai from assuming the throne. Shudin points out that with Iodin dead, Serene's marriage contract to Rayadin, which prevented her from remarrying, is void now. She could marry Roile, and their combined fortunes, as well as her political station, would make Roile a shoe-in for the throne. Serene agrees that it's the best plan. As Roile escorts her back to the palace, he very kindly tells her he won't be around much longer and she'll be free to remarry again after he dies. They agree to schedule the wedding for the day of Iodin's funeral. They come across a large crowd, and when they investigate, they find Raithen at the center. He's been healed. Chapter 36 The morning of Raithen's fifth day in Elantris, he's feeling weak and dehydrated. He thinks he might actually die, but he has no regrets, as he saw no other course he could have taken. He sees delirious visions of Yadith and has nightmares about Dakor Monastery. 
He comes to in the afternoon and notices he has stubble where his hair is coming back. He's been healed. The potion has worn off. He shouts that he's been healed, but no guards are on the wall to hear him. He shouts some more, worried he might die anyway if no one notices. When the gate opens and the greedy guard captain he's been bribing calls to him, people crowd around him as he's led back to his chapel. He preaches that it was all Yadif's doing, really hamming it up. Diloph is super surprised to see him and comments on the strength of Raven's faith, saying he was wrong to doubt him. In his room, Raven checks over his things. His sealed box has been messed with, but the Sion inside says no one has opened it. He takes out his last vial of Fortin's potion and calls on an assassin. The chapter ends without telling us who he plans to give the potion to. Okay, so first up, I need to correct myself. It's not 37 through 39, it's 34 through 36 chapters. The 37 through 39 is next week. Which... Right, you you told him to read through 39 so yep. he could join next week. Yep. Um, so yeah, I like that the chapter ends with, wait, actually that does, that isn't where it ends. Um, uh, ah, there we go. Just before he, uh, calls the assassin, he drinks some wine and then passes out. Just. Oh, yes. Which I thought was kind of a cool thing. And also, uh, Raythan mentions, I didn't highlight this, but I should have. It's a really good quote. Um, uh, I'm never going to be able to find it. Something about how, like, he didn't believe in miracles proper, uh, but that they were almost oh, right. always... Like, 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 even though it was all him, it was still Yadith working through him kind of thing? Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, that was... I think I know right where that is. Hang on. That, like, he didn't believe in miracles because they were... Ah, here we go. It didn't bother him that the miracle was an effect of Fortin's potion. Raythan had found that most supposed miracles were either natural or the result of human intervention. Yadith was behind them, as he was behind all things, using natural phenomena to increase the faith of man. I just thought that was a really cool quote. Right. And and really gets to, like, the core of, of Raythan's, uh, you know, religious beliefs. Like, there's a proper explanation for all of this, but it doesn't matter because God is behind everything. Right. Like, he really feels like he is doing God's work. Um, Alright, do we have anything else non-spoilery, or shall we get into the meat of it? Um, well, some of the stuff that we were going to say about Dave, I guess, would be non-spoilery. But let's just move to the spoiler portion so that I don't have to censor myself. Okay. So, from this point forward, here there be spoilers. Alright. Uh, so first off, the living and dying, um, man, he didn't yeah. really do well on that one at all. No, no he, he messed that up. So Galadon lives, Raythan dies. Yep. Um, I think those were like the only, no, well, okay. All three main characters live is what he said, which two out of three on that one. And then, yeah, and he also, um said something about how he didn't he didn't think that uh Rayadin would go uh poeed on us and he kinda does there for a minute. A little bit, yeah. So Um I don't actually know if he's gotten to the pool yet. 
if that's even been mentioned. If he said he got through 25, so let's figure out where... Without, like, rereading, I wouldn't know exactly what that entailed. It's okay, I've got notes. Because there are, there are, like, differences between, you know, has he gotten there versus has he noticed it? Because, like, he didn't even bring up the the main thing that Serene has been doing, which was, you know, um, becoming the leader of, uh, I can't words, I shouldn't be doing this in the morning. Mornings are bad. I like doing this in the morning. I'm here in my pajamas. Um, Got my yeah. coffee. Like, Raiden's group, I should probably start drinking coffee if I'm going to do this in the morning. If I'm going to have to, like, be awake and aware in the morning. Okay, so he, he said he got through chapter 25, and chapter 25 is the chapter where they get to the pool. Okay. So he just didn't, I guess, recognize the significance of it. He might but, not have finished 25, because that's at the end of 25. That's possible. Um, but yeah, like, he didn't bring up anything, really, about Serene taking over Rayodin's group of of high noblemen. I, I like how he mentioned that Serene is basically doing everything, um, you know, empowering the women and trying to fend off this holy war. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that was on the list and he just didn't mention it. Yeah, fair enough. And I feel like that is kind of a uh, a consequence of the chapter triads. Because Rayodin has to take care of stuff in the city. Serene then is responsible for all the things outside of the city, and Hraithen is largely responsible for a lot of the stuff outside of the city that Serene is working against. So she kind of does have to do everything, or else it won't get done, because only protagonists can actually affect things. You know, I kind of feel like... Dave was justified in not mentioning that she's trying to keep Iodin on the throne on account of that's not really her focus at that point in the book. It like up, up to chapter 25, it really is all about undermining Rafen. And um, so like her widow's trial is totally focused on that. And yeah, they do want to keep Iodin on the throne, but well- I mean, the the focus of the nobles changes a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but, like, he didn't mention that she had taken them over, basically. So, but he did okay, mention yeah. them. Like, that was, that was sort of the focus of his, you know, Brandon Sanderson does this very interesting thing of, like, he gives each of these guys a descriptor, and then every time they're mentioned from then on, the descriptor is brought up so that you get, you know, this just just some sort of mental image of these guys in your head and you can sort of tie them together. Which is kind of why I like doing the, the casting so that you have, you know, something in your head to tie to a character. Right. Like you have you have a mental image so that whenever they come up again, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's the dad from Frasier. Yes. So, uh, what else did he talk about that we want to talk about? I really should have been taking notes as he was talking. Yeah, I... 
I felt like I could pay attention and remember things, but I should know better because I have morning brain. Yeah, get some coffee. I'm telling you. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to have to do next time. I don't really drink coffee, but I think I need it. Um, All right, well then, what what else would we like to talk about? Uh... I don't think there were any, like, big revelations in these chapters. Not really a huge amount going on, um, except that Rayodin gets a gigantic, essentially, farm animal workforce. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, the first time I read the book, I was, I was really worried about those guys. Like, they're, they're on a you know, a a hair trigger on their sanity. Like they're basically rabid dogs that might obey, but then they could turn on you at any time. And I was just completely expecting that to go wrong. But then nothing happened with it. What happens with them after they fix the, after they fix the city? Well, I mean, it, it fixes, uh, what's his name's autism. So, Maybe it also fixes their crazy. Hmm. I hope so. Not, not that autism is crazy, but it, I mean, in that it is a deeply embedded condition. And if the transformation fixed that, then surely a little thing like some sanity would be no problem at all. Okay. I'm just going to believe that, yes, they got better. Because we don't ever really get... I don't feel like we ever really check in on them again. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't think we do. I which, don't. Which sort of makes me think that we don't. Yeah, I don't think it comes up again. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye out for that as we as we go on. Well, way to fail to fire Chekhov's gun, Brandon. Right. <laughs> yes. Communism was just a red herring. Uh, so other things I liked in this set of chapters, uh, I really like the magical mold. Uh, yes. I like that there's, there's a scientific explanation for the, and, and I am impressed with how Sanderson does these things with, um, creating these, not just world building, but ecosystems in, in his fantasy books. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. There's, there's a nice logical cause and effect that, like it's it's all made up fakey fake BS, but like if you if you dig down deep enough, it it still holds up for the most part. Yeah, and and like in uh, Stormlight Archive, how you've got all of the the critters with hard shells, and how the grasses retreat inside during the storms, like like. Coral does in mm-hmm. the ocean, you know, uh, anemones. Um, Where do you live, kid? In <laughs> Maybe Finding Nemo should be one of my good things in the future. That was a great movie. Yes, yes it is. Finding Dory was garbage. I, I didn't watch it. Um, Don't bother. Okay. Just continue skipping that one. You're fine. No, like, uh, so I didn't get around to watching Inside Out for a long time. Um, 
but because it's about feelings, like who cares about that? That can't possibly be any good. Right. But then one of my friends was saying, no, it's actually pretty good. You should watch it sometime. So it was already out on DVD and, uh, I, I just, I got it at the library and I plugged it in while I was home alone one day and oh my God, I cried. I cried so hard. I ugly cried. I was cry- I, like sobbing. Like the cats were running in from the other room to make sure I was okay. Like, I am so glad I didn't watch that in the theater. It would have been embarrassing. Um, My husband would have been like, I don't know this woman. Like, so I decided I don't go see Disney Pixar in the theater anymore. Just That is absolutely fair. Um, yeah. Our mutual friend Ryan was a strong proponent of of at least me seeing Inside Out. I don't know if he's who recommended it to you. Uh, yes, actually. Okay. Well, then there we go. Yeah, he was a huge fan of it. And like you, I put it off for a very long time. Um, I didn't cry at it, but only barely. It was yeah. it was a rough one to get through. That, that the imaginary friend. Oh, my God. Um, and then... I haven't seen it yet, but I understand that Coco will elicit a similar response. Oh my gosh. Have you seen Coco? No, I haven't. Okay, well. But that one's got a dog in it, right? I only just got a dog. That's going to make it worse, isn't it? I don't know. I I know very little <laughs> about it. I know that I was very excited about it when I first heard about it, like six years before it freaking came out, because Dia de los Muertos is like the best holiday um, and then I, I just, I still haven't seen it. So, meh. Uh, so what else, what else do we have Cosmere or do we just want to be like a short episode because Mike has morning brain? Well, let's see. Looking at my notes. I, I love the little hints that we get from Raven's chapter about Dakor Monastery and how he makes it sound so sinister, like how... Sanderson keeps dropping us all these little breadcrumb hints about that place. Oh, and it totally pays off. It's it's super duper sinister. It's it's if anything like worse than the hints were given. Yeah, and I also with this uh, this particular triad, I like how they all they take place at the same time and they all come together at the end. You know, like the first two chapters end on he's been healed, like. <laughs> mm-hmm. They both have that, like, verbatim, um, which I tried to point out in my summaries, but, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that Serene's chapter was all that interesting. Basically, really they just, wasn't. they decide to have a wedding. Eh. The actual and wedding itself, super interesting. Fun yeah. stuff happens. We'll get there. Well, also from Serene's chapter, props to Roile. He is just a stand-up guy, like... Just that he's not going to take advantage of the situation, and he's such a gentleman, and... Which is, like, completely counter to not how he was acting, but, like, the the external face he was presenting. Yes. Like, obviously, he was just screwing with them. Like, both both Serene and then the other, you know, the, the women at court who have been, like, chasing him down, and he had to hold them back with a stick. Yes. Um... But yeah, so Royale, good guy. Good guy. I don't remember if he lives through the book. He he doesn't. Okay. He, he does not. He 
He dies pretty extravagantly. Okay. So, so yeah. Yeah. But, but Galadon lives, and that's what's important. That is, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, since I've asked you like four times already, made any more headway on audibling? No. Okay. I I told you I had that pile of books I needed to read for work for, like, professional reasons. Eh. And I read all the ones that sounded interesting to me. And then I have these others that I still need to read and I don't want to. And so it's like, oh, I should read these Sanderson books. But I've got this other pile that I need to read. But I don't want to, so I'm just not going to read anything at all. That's how that's working out. Maybe I give up on the professional books and just start the Sanderson stuff again. <laughs> well, aren't you, aren't you like, exclusively audiobooking Sanderson? Not exclusively, no. Okay. I, I do jump back and forth between them. Just um, I, I do audiobooking when I'm in the car or when I'm cleaning the house. Ah. And... Uh, I mean, that was, that was going to be where I was heading with that was like, for me, um, audiobooking and like dead tree booking are like wildly different experiences that, uh, I mean, you gotta have a book going. Obviously you, you have to have a book going all the time. Otherwise, what are you doing? Um, but the circumstances under which it is appropriate to audiobook versus dead tree booking or e-booking, whatever, those two sort of fall in the same category, are, like, wildly different. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, I, I don't know. I was going to suggest that, like, you could, you could continue Sanderson, Sandersoning during your audiobooking appropriate times and then work on your, work on your dead tree pile you know, during dead tree appropriate, appropriate times. Yeah. Uh, so what actually is on that list that, that looked good? Like the ones you actually did? Oh, um, is it all like kids books? Yeah, yeah, basically kids books. Uh, not, not picture books, obviously I'd be done with those by now. These are, they're, they're chapter books. Um, but they, they do take time. It's, uh, so, as I've mentioned before, I am a children's librarian in a uh, small town library in Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, we have the Sequoia list every year. It's uh, a list of 15 or so books um, that all of the children in the state are encouraged to read that year. And then uh, in March, they vote on the on the books and pick their favorite any child who has read three or more books from the list is uh, qualified to vote. And then they get to pick. It's kind of a reader's choice list. Um, and so I, I committed to reading all, all the books on the list. And um, so I was trying to finish last year's list uh, before the voting ended in March. Spoiler alert. I didn't because some of them just weren't interesting to me and then at the end of march next year's list came out so now there's 15 more books i need to read and you know i i primarily read fantasy uh and sci-fi 
I'll, I'll do historical fiction. That's, that's fine. But when you get up to anything that's just straight up realistic fiction, or if it's all about drama or particularly family drama, like, I don't want to read that. I, I am not even interested in that. Uh, all of these books that are like, it's a beautiful coming of age story about self discovery and blah, blah, blah. No, I, um, so in the first book of Alcatraz versus the Evil Librarians, right. <laughs> uh, at one point, Brandon brings up a, a what I felt was a very good point, and I'd like you to potentially corroborate this. Um, children's authors hate moms and dogs. Just hate them. They do. They absolutely do. Like, so many books, like, don't even have a mom in them. Uh, the kid was orphaned, or mom left. It's just the kid and dad, or, or mom's there and just totally not part of the story. Because the kid's off doing his or her, her own thing, and mom is just out of the picture. Um, and yeah, the dog always dies, and oh. Or or tries to climb on top of you while you're talking on the computer. <laughs> well, your your dog climbing on top of you is better than the animal noise that I'm pretty sure my microphone picked up earlier because my freaking psychotic cat decided that it was crazy time and he had to have upstairs zoomies, which have you <laughs> ever had an upstairs neighbor? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have. Okay. Uh, now pretend that that upstairs neighbor is a cat who's going freaking insane, running around, stomping like a herd of freaking rhinos. That has happened before. Yeah. <laughs> and so... In fact, it happens frequently in my own house because I have an upstairs and I have cats. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if the audio picked some of that up. Uh, if it did, I guess you get to deal with that also now, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, that's what it's like. That's what you get. Um, so yeah. I have to take this dog out, so we need to end the episode. <laughs> Alright, well, I think that's, I think that'll do it for us. So, uh, uh, catch you next week, internet. Good night, Internet! Bye! This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.